Fire in the Mountains, Chapter 6. Shoto yawned into his plate and found himself staring at his breakfast with a painfully blank expression. What's with you? Mina said, nudging him with her foot under the table and a mouthful of salted ham. Shoto shook his head and blinked blearily at her. <sighs> Just tired. Mina made a face. Something wrong with your big, fancy room now, too? Shoto might have been annoyed if he didn't know Mina was only teasing him. She liked to do that. He was beginning to think she, Kiri, and Dinky, who Shoto still couldn't look at without blushing, had never had a cruel impulse a day in their lives. Shoto lowered his voice and glanced down to the end of the table where Kotsky and Kiri were playing some kind of childish game involving a race to finish their oatmeal first. I didn't sleep well, Shoto muttered. Why? Mina drawled as if she shouldn't have to. Shoto poked at his own oatmeal and watched the honey and dried fruit sink into the bowl. It's quiet. Shoto mumbled. He could feel himself blushing. Mina didn't say anything, and when she, when he looked up at her, she was giving him a smug, satisfied smile. Shoto looked back down at his breakfast and thought of la the last week, tucked into his own massive room with nothing but Denki's light to keep him company. He'd never been so aware of his own breath in his chest before, of the beating of his heart. There had been something... Immeasurably soothing about hearing Denki snore. Shoto had no idea why. It wasn't as if his room had been anything other than perfectly quiet back home. But in roughly two weeks' time, he had somehow become very accustomed to the sounds they all made when they slept, and he supposed it was taking longer to return to normalcy. Or something that looked like normalcy, at least. Not having to listen to various combinations of the four of them fuck was a massive relief. You can always move back in with us, Mina teased. Shoto rolled his eyes. With all due respect, Mina, there are things that go on in that room that nobody should have to ever overhear. And least of all, me. Mina looked at him strangely. What did you hear? And then she added very thoughtfully, We were so quiet. Not as quiet as you think you are, Shoto mumbled. And wouldn't you prefer not to have to worry about that anyway? He added. Mina shrugged. I mean, I didn't really. It was... I was just trying to be nice. And then she gave Shoto a very levicious smile when she said, You can listen to me fuck anytime you want, cutie. Doesn't bother me any. Shoto blushed and put his forehead in his hand. Would you please not talk like that? Everyone does it, Mina said deadpan. No. They don't, and some people never do, and some people would rather not. So if you could just 
Please. Wait, 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 wait. You never wanna? Mina said thoughtfully. And Shoto thought, very irresponsibly, of Kotsky's mouth when he said hastily, Not never, or... He sighed very heavily without taking his head out of his hand. He was too tired for this. But a servant had arrived at the at his door very early and said Kotsky wanted them all to come to breakfast. And he would and would he please come too? And he couldn't very well say no to such a civil request, could he? He probably should have. Mina sighed and then she said you are just the cutest thing, aren't you? Shadow narrowed his eyes and glared at her. You're going to lose all your shit when you finally find someone you actually do want to fuck, she said brightly. And then she added with a glance down the table, Although, why you're not interested in Kotsky at all is just... <laughs> Listen, I'm confused, alright? I mean... Look at him. Look at you. Look at him. I just... You just what? Kiri interrupted, peering down the table. When Shoto looked up, Koski was listening to something a servant was whispering to him, face going dark and violent. I want to watch, Mina said with a whine and a pout. Look at him. She said this to Kiri, pointing with her whole hand at Shoto. Shoto hissed, Mina. And then Kotsky made them all jump when he stood up so fast his chair fell down behind him. And then he rushed out of the room without saying anything. Shoto watched him go curiously. What happened? Mina said, looking at Kiri. I, I don't know. I didn't hear. They all caught sight of Denki's face at the same time. He was ghostly white, staring at Kotsky's chair. Denki, Mina said hushed. What's wrong? I, I didn't hear, Denki whispered. But it sounded like... Mina's hand suddenly flew to her mouth. Oh no. What's wrong? So Shoto said sharply. But Kiri was standing very quickly, an unfamiliar, determined look on his face, and not thirty seconds after he stood back up, Kotsky came careening back into the room. Kiri said, Are we? But Kotsky was flying at Shoto, and Shoto realized a split second too late. He threw himself backwards, and since his ribs were still quite stiff and he was tangled in a chair, all he succeeded in doing was falling down. Get out! Kotsky bellowed furiously, throwing himself over the table from Mina's side. Shoto looked around, trying to piece together what happened, and Kotsky said again, Get out of my country! Kotsky, what's wrong? Mina pleaded, putting her hands on his shoulders. Kiri bent down to help Shoto up, and Shoto's shock started to turn to anger. What did I? They're all dead! Kotsky spat, whirling on Mina. Who? She whispered. 
Boulder Block Village. The whole fucking town just burned like all the others and not a single... What? Shoto said sharply. Who? You shut the fuck up. Kotsky bellowed, whirling away from Mina and pointing, and Kiri... Kiri put himself in front of Shoto. Just a little. Kotsky, Shoto was here. Kiri said softly. These were supposed to stop! Shoto didn't move. Kotsky was livid, and he was... It almost sounded like he was pleading. He promised! He promised if we agreed to this ridiculous marriage bullshit, the attacks would stop! Shoto blinked. What attacks? The room was very quiet, other than Shoto's question. Dinky was staring into his oatmeal bowl. He hadn't moved at all. Mina had her hands on Kotsky's shoulders, eyes flipping between Kiri and Shoto. There were tears in her eyes. Like you didn't know. Kotsky hissed, but there was a long beat between when Shoto had spoken and when Kotsky replied. Kotsky, what attacks? Shoto repeated, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the pyromancers your father's sending to wipe out my villages. Kotsky practically screamed, making Shoto jump. He seemed like he wanted to launch himself over the table and wring Shoto's necks. That's six now! Six and eight months just gone! Just ash! Shoto shook his head. No. Fuck you mean no. You. No, Kotsky. Inji isn't. Why do you think Inji did this? I don't know anything about any attacks on your civilians. Oh, you fucking liar. Kotsky spat, taking one hulking step forward. My people haven't been safe on the border for years. Military raids, Shoto countered. Not, did you say, you said fire users? Why do you think, oh, please. Kotsky grounded, and his voice was thick, and he looked tired all of a sudden and young, so young. You Todoroki's in your fire. I got the message. And Shoto shook his head again. That's not us. Everyone stared at him. Kotsky, it's not, Shoto insisted. If my father wanted you to know he was attacking you, he wouldn't, he wouldn't send some sign. He'd declare it. And if he wanted it to be secret... He certainly wouldn't use pyromancers to do it. I don't even think he has any other fire mages under his command. Not anyone that I know of. Certainly not one strong enough to take out whole villages. A platoon. I'd know if he had a whole platoon of us. Shoto said sharply, and then Denki said, Kotsky. Everyone turned to look at him. 
Kotsky Boulder Block is only two days from here. So? Kotsky growled. So, King Inji sent a whole garrison of soldiers into the middle of the Outlands to wipe out a completely worthless village? It's not worthless! Kotsky yelled. They're just people! Mina interjected, nodding at Denki. Just people! They just live there! What good does it do to kill them? Kotsky turned and looked at Shoto, and then Mina again. It has to be him, he said. All the other attacks were along the border. Hold on, Shoto said sharply, a memory prickling in the back of his head. Something Inji had said in the days leading up to him declaring someone had to marry the barbarian king. Something happened to us a few months ago. Right before my father suggested you and I, we... What was it that Inji had said? Something about an attack on a little stronghold along the border. No survivors. Had Inji mentioned fire? Had he mentioned what had happened at all? Shoto had only taken note because it was strange to hear that no one had lived. The barbarians were vicious, violent fighters, but they killed only soldiers, not civilians. And then he remembered asking Kotsky why he'd agreed to marry Shoto at all. To stop the attacks on his people. To stop the killing. He'd thought Kotsky meant the military raids, but... Kotsky stood up all at once. Kiri! Yes, Kiri said sharply, firmly, and both of them started walking towards the door. Wait! They paused just long enough to glance back at Shoto, and then Shoto said the stupidest thing he'd ever said in his life, short of telling Inji he'd marry Kotsky. Take me with you. Kotsky laughed coldly. <laughs> Fuck you! But Shoto was shaking his head, trying to pull together pull together all the pieces swirling around in his mind. I can help. I can tell you if Inji did it. Why would you? Because I hate him. Kotsky looked at Shoto very abruptly. Mina did too, and Denki. If he's wiping out villages, Shoto said, heart suddenly flying in his chest, full of Innocent people? These people, these strange, kind, exuberant people. I'll help you kill him myself. Bullshit! Kosky said sharply. Why the fuck should I trust you at all? You've done nothing but bitch and whine and insult and distrust us since you got here. I can smell magic, Shoto insisted. I can tell you what happened. I can figure that out just fine, Kotsky said, throwing the door open. I can, if it's fire, Shoto demanded, following them both out. Fuck do you think my magic is, Kotsky demanded. Kotsky, and Shoto did another very stupid thing. He grabbed him. He grabbed him by the shoulder, and when Kotsky spun around, little sparks flaring from his fingertips and... 
Fuck. Fuck, there were tears in his eyes. And Shoto said, I can help. Kotsky stared at him, face twisted up in hate and distrust. Kiri stared at him too, open, honest smile, just gone. I'm strong. I can help. You know I can. Kotsky put his hand on Shoto's chest and shoved him into the wall. Shoto balled up his fist, about to start swinging, and then Kotsky said, Any hint of bull- any bullshit, Haffy. I swear I'll bury you myself. Shoto lifted his chin. If he's murdering people, other people, I want to know. I won't. I won't let him. Kotsky stared at him, nostrils flaring, and whirled away. When Shoto looked around, he found Mina and Denki both watching him from the door to the dining room. Are you... He began, but Mina shook her head. Kiri can go faster with just you two. We'll guard the castle. Shoto jerked around to follow Kotsky, and the word guard started reverberating through his head. Of course, during a time like this, of course, they'd want someone powerful to stay behind, keeping everyone safe. And Mina and Denki? Shoto had seen it himself. Mina and Dinky were strong. They only paused long enough to get dressed. Shoto in a closely fitted, fitted woolen tunic and a fur overcoat. Kotsky in a fox fawn fur vest that fastened in the front with nothing underneath it. And a leather sack stuffed with clothes for Kiri. It only took them a few minutes to change. For Shoto to throw on the fur over the tunic he'd worn to breakfast Kotsky, who seemed to live shirtless, to fling something around his shoulders, too, and go. They left the same way they had come in, weeks ago, from the low, long, flat area on the roof that only Kiri could get to. Shoto might have been annoyed to find himself clinging to Kotsky's waist again as Kiri launched them into the sky, but he was too busy thinking. Six attacks in eight months? He asked. Yes. Kotsky grunted. All the same? Yes. Places completely demolished. Not a single person left. Not even... Not even bodies. Just ash. Shoto shook his head without meaning to. That's... Highly unlikely, Kotsky, to disintegrate human bodies like that. Fire has to be very hot or burning for a long time. We don't know how long these attacks last, Kotsky admitted. It's been a few days between discovering them every time. Could be burning for a while, but I don't think so. Why? Because by the time we find them, it's not like a fire looks when it's been going. It looks more like my explosions, like everything there was there one minute and just gone the next. Is that? Shoto began, leaning up a little to see over Kotsky's head. 
Kiri flew fast, and they'd left the castle far behind them in maybe twenty minutes' time. <clears throat> now, Shoto saw a thick black cloud spiraling up towards the sky. Dinky had said Boulder Block was two days' ride, so with Kiri, that should still be more. Kiri, down now! Kotsky suddenly bellowed, and the sheer panic in his voice shocked Shoto so badly he clung to Kotsky's waist. Oh no, oh no, oh no. What? What's wrong? That's not Boulder Block! Kotsky hissed. The fire was too big, too black, and then it just... Shoto and Kotsky watched the smoke mushroom up, billow out, and then just stop, like the source had been completely snuffed out. But for such a massive flame, Kiri hurled himself into a steep dive, and Shoto squeezed his eyes shut against the sight of the ground rushing up to meet him. And Kiri landed in the middle of what once had been a town square. <clears throat> Shoto knew that's what it once had been because he could see the foundations of the dwellings that had stood here, and in the center of the town, a well. But the whole place was decimated, nothing but burnt-out husks, ruins. It was still, so still, Shoto was afraid if he breathed too loudly, they'd disturb something. Kotsky slid off of Kiri's back, eyes wide, and Shoto heard him whisper, No. Shoto climbed down too, and then Kiri was a man again, naked but normal-sized. He wordlessly took the bag from Kotsky and dressed quickly. Kotsky, Shoto said quietly, No. No. Not here. Not again. The ground felt hot beneath Shoto's feet. Ash was thick, floating through the air, choking them. Kotsky, Shoto whispered, this is new. Spread out, Kotsky said sharply, pain in his throat. Spread out. Look for survivors. Are you sure we should? Kiri began, but Shoto cut him off. We'll cover more ground that way. He said, and he picked a direction and started walking briskly. Kotsky, Shoto, and Kirishima. They are all capable of protecting themselves if anyone was still here. Shoto didn't see how anyone could be. This place was silent. It was so still, Shoto felt like every step would crumble the ruins of what were left. Shoto didn't see how anyone could still be here. He moved towards the edge of town and noticed the burnt-out husks of the buildings getting taller. It looked like whatever had happened in this place had started in the middle of town and radiated outwards. There were still a few buildings on the edge where the village met the trees that were still standing. 
Shoto made for those, fire and ice licking at his fingertips, whole body alert for the tiniest movement. This whole place felt wrong. Wrong. And it took Shoto longer than he would have liked to pinpoint why. But it was magic. Strong and thick and powerful, but so black and twisted, so unlike anything Shoto had ever encountered before, he almost didn't recognize it as magic. And even more disconcerting, under that, under the black, under the shadow, under the sheer void of positive magical convergence, there was something that was almost, something that Shoto would have sworn he almost recognized. He was wandering between the taller husks of the buildings, too unnerved to call out, but so tuned into the world around him he would have heard any sound any survivors made. Kotsky and Kiri had gone some other way. It was dead silent here, deathly still. Shoto carefully stepped into the shadow of one building, peering into the burnt-out husk of another, and looked hard, even though he was utterly terrified of what he would see. He'd only ever really seen one dead body before, burnt beyond recognition. It was probably a good thing Toya hadn't had his own face anymore. That would have made it worse. But the house was empty. And the one beside it, and the one beside it, and Shoto took one step after step, his footsteps crunching in the ash, the only sound. There was something strange about some of these houses. They looked black and decayed, but the scent of burnt wood was weaker around some of them. It was almost like they'd been burnt into shells without the fire. It didn't make sense. Shoto bent closer to one door, running his fingers over the place where the half the door just ceased to exist, like it had never been there. The edge of the wood didn't look burnt. It looked rotted. Shoto dragged his finger along the spot, and his hand came away damp, which didn't make any sense. Fire would dry everything out. But this was wet and crumbling like a piece of wood Shoto might pluck from the forest floor, desiccated, dissolving into wet, pulpy mush. And then he heard it. The presence of any sound was enough to draw Shoto up short and make his blood run cold, but this sound? It was like some kind of scraping or grinding, or cutting, slicing. Shoto's stomach turned, and he looked around for Kotsky or Kiri, but he didn't see either of them. It didn't matter anyway. Neither of them had brought a blade. What could possibly be making that sound? And then there was muttering, quiet, sibilant muttering in time with the slices. Shoto squeezed his hands, forced his magic down so it wouldn't give him away, and crept forward, step by step. 
the muttering got more consistent, not really louder, except for how Shoto was drawing closer to it, and that ever-present slicing sound. Shoto was stuck between two little stone houses, just husks now, but enough to block his view. He'd have to peer around them. He stood for what felt like a very long time, with his back to the corner of the burnt-out building, hoping he'd see Kotsky or Kiri, hoping he was wrong about the magic twisting in the air, wrong about how wrong it was. But no one was coming. Shoto was the strongest Todoroki the family had birthed in centuries. Kotsky and Kiri could match him, or Kotsky could at least. Shoto just assumed he was a dragon that, you know, Kiri could, but he'd never seen him in action. So Shoto had to look. The likelihood that whatever was making those sounds was an actual threat to him seemed incredibly slim. But the magic twisting in the air... Shoto looked. He did not want to admit what he was seeing. It was too horrible, worse than anything he could have imagined, and confusingly bizarre, too. A single man with tussled gray hair with his back to Shoto was hunched over a terribly singed body, and and there were hands on his body just stuck all over his body and the back of his neck, dead, disembodied hands. He was sawing one off the dead body, slicing it carefully at the wrist. There were more in a pile at his side and more bodies everywhere. Shoto realized with a, with a stomach-churning jolt that he'd found the townsfolk. They'd all been here, in this building. They were all dead now, and a crazed man was taking their hands, one from each body. Shoto watched in mute horror, skin cold, and had no idea what to do. The crunch of a foot drew his eye, and a second man stepped out of the broken wall of the place where all the townspeople had gathered before they'd been murdered. He was a tall, with dark, matted hair sticking up from his head in ragged spikes. It was freezing, but he was shirtless, but for a thin, tattered white tunic that could have been a burial shroud before misuse had shredded it. It was gray with ash in places. Shoto stared at the side of the man's head, at his hands, at his chest and his arms, and realized in slow, creeping horror that he'd been. He was. Burned. Badly. His skin was scarred and mangled, purple and damaged and skitched stitched together like he was some terrible doll. The skin that wasn't viciously mangled was gray. So gray he looked... He looked... dead. Shoto tasted the magic on the air then, and he choked. He should have known. 
He should have known the second he felt it. Necromancy. He couldn't swallow the sound. He was so shocked, so disgusted. Two sets of eyes jumped to Shoto, found him instantly through the bodies attached to them, didn't really move much. One pair was red and manic and angry, the other was. Shoto's whole world tilted and heaved, and he jerked dizzily behind the building again, sure, so sure he had, he'd been seen. He couldn't have seen. His mind was playing tricks on him. It was just the ash and the dead people, and... Shoto jerked back out from the building again, ready to attack, ready to send out a wave of ice to freeze them both. Except the man with the stitched-together body had moved, and Shoto hadn't heard him. And then he was just there, standing in Shoto's space, awful sliced cheeks pulled back in a feral grin, eyes burning. Familiar eyes. A familiar face. Under all the burns and stitches and death-gray paler. Shoto fell down, shock making him stupid, making his brain grind to a horrible, terrified halt. The man said very slowly, Show? No, 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 no. Toe. Ice. Ice! Shoto threw up his hands, put everything he had into it, and before the wall of ice had even formed, the man, Shoto wouldn't say his name, he couldn't even think, waved his hand and a blue fire like an avalanche swallowed up the attack. It just evaporated, sizzled into nothing. Blue fire? No, 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 the muttering man said, shocking Shoto with his presence. The blade he was holding fell to the earth with a muffled thump, but Shoto couldn't take his eyes off. Move, Shoto, run, Shoto, run. You shouldn't be here yet. No one should be here yet. You shouldn't. This is not. Tomura, can I burn? Shoto, go. Move. You have to move. You have to run now. You have to move. Burn. The burn man hissed. Let me. Let me. Stop, Dobby. Let me think. Alone. Alone. He's all alone. What? What did you call him? The burned man looked down at Shoto and tilted his head. I don't remember. I used to. I don't. Can I burn him now? The other man, Tomura, groaned and scratched his neck. He was dressed in rags and those hands. They were all over his body clinging to his arms, his neck, his face. In a minute, love, let me talk to him. Dobby, he was Dobby, whoever Dobby was. 
and that was who Shoto was looking at, and he hadn't said Shoto's name, and he wasn't wearing Shoto's dead brother's skin. Where'd you come from, brat? And Shoto finally remembered how to move. He threw both hands out, hurled fire at the monsters, and spewed ice under their feet, and he scrambled up and he ran, even though he was not a man to run, even though he was strong, even though running made him hate himself. He ran because he knew in the pit of his belly that if he stayed here, he would die. If he didn't move, he would die. He made it about four steps forward before the first man, Tomura, appeared in front of him, smile stretching so wide, Shoto could see the sides of it from around the palm he had locked over his face. He punched Shoto in the stomach harder than Shoto had ever been hit, and he did it so fast it didn't matter that Shoto had thrown a truly preposterous amount of strength into one single fireball aimed at the man's head. The fireball went wide, and Shoto went down hard, whole body spasming and locking the air in his lungs. His ribs were still healing. He wasn't prepared for a fight. That was rude, little boy. I asked you a question, Tomura said, crouching down beside Shoto, ragged robes trailing in the snow and ash. Dobby stood behind him, watching Shoto with wide, unblinking eyes and that awful smile. It was the eyes, though. Shoto knew them. Shoto knew those eyes. What did you do to him? He whispered it, said it while staring at Dobby. I fixed him. Tomura said quizzically without turning around. Isn't he beautiful? Shoto needed to get up. He needed to fight. Except he was fairly certain Tomura had broken his ribs again. And maybe a few new ones beside. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to move. It just hurt. Isn't he... Tomura suddenly hissed, and when he said it, he grabbed Shoto's plush white fur. The hide dissolved in his hand, fell into dry, rotted tatters. Shoto needed to get up. Shoto needed to get away. I want to burn him. Dobby hissed at Tomura, low voice petulant. Bile rose in the back of Shoto's throat. Tomura stood up and looked around lackadaisical. Better do it fast, then. He's strong. Don't give him time to hurt you, pet. And then Tomura stepped out of the way, looked like he might meander, completely careless, back to his bodies and his knife and his hands. Dobby took two steps forward, shoulders curled and hands at his sides. His fingers arced into claws, palms facing Shoto, and Shoto could see blue fire pooling there, and it was so hot, Shoto could feel it from here. And he didn't look like he saw Shoto at all. 
he was just grinning and and there was nothing Shoto could do. Nothing. Fire would be swallowed up. Ice would just be melted. And he couldn't move fast enough. Not like this. He could barely get air into his lungs. <laughs> Dobby started to laugh. And then Shoto squeezed his eyes shut like a child, like a coward, because he felt the heat flare and he knew, he knew he was going to die. It was an inferno, sudden and violent, screaming around him, and at the exact moment Shoto realized he wasn't burning to death, he felt hands on his arm. Move! Shoto did move, without thinking, just scrambled backwards, finally used his ice and his fire both to shoot himself away as fast as he could, and Kotki kept a grip on him, pulled him along as he shot himself backwards too. Shoto opened his eyes and saw Kiri, face twisted in pain with two huge, angular, stone-like wings jutting from his back, soaking up licks of vibrant blue flame. It all happened so quickly, and then the fire was gone, and Kiri, Kiri fell. What the fuck? Kotsky hissed as he let Shoto go and turned to face the two men who'd caused all this horror. Who the fuck? Fast, Shoto choked. The gray one, he's so fast. Get up, Kotsky hissed, and then he was flying forward, hands by his side, and propelling himself feet first at the two attackers. Fight! Shoto did manage to climb to his feet, though he couldn't stand without hunching double. Kotsky's initial attack was dodged, then both monsters seemed to turn as one and just grin at him before he kicked Tomura in the face with a devastatingly quick change of direction. Don't let him touch you! Shoto bellowed, the words yanking themselves from his throat without his assent. And then he darted back in, magic flaring, because Kotsky couldn't do this alone. Not these men. And Kiri... Shoto couldn't think about that. He couldn't. Kotsky was holding his own, playing a deadly game of keep away. He could blast himself high enough into the air that Tomura and Dobby couldn't reach him, although the latter kept hurling gouts of flame at him like he was an obnoxious fly Dobby had to squash. And Kotsky kept falling and then changing direction, drilling them with violent, bone-crunching kicks that only Tomura seemed to be able to dodge. So Shoto watched, and at the exact moment, Tomura went skidding, ice under his feet, and Kotsky blasted him in the chest with fire. A split second later, Shoto used a burst of flame of his own to keep Dobby from grabbing Kotsky by the ankle. You are a very annoying bug, Tomura hissed, and then he looked at Shoto and hurled something, a hand. He threw a hand. The hand landed in the dirt, and then, faster than Shoto could truly comprehend, it grew from the wrist out, an arm, a chest, neck, 
head, a whole man, an enormous man, made of shadow and ember and ash, with a single flesh hand. And it took one hulking step forward. Shoto couldn't see what happened with Kotsky. He couldn't run. He couldn't move like he usually could. He blasted the shadow creature with a focalized, a localized inferno and nothing happened. It just kept stalking towards him. Ice was next and that slowed him down. But Shoto created a wall of it, blocked the creature's legs in and snagged his arms too. And then he was moving, trying to get close to Kotsky again, to Kiri. He landed in a dizzy heap at Kiri's side. Kiri wasn't moving at all, and his back was one solid, awful burn. Shoto felt sick. They needed to go. They needed to leave now. Kotsky was holding his own, but only just. His face was bloodied, and he was gasping for air, and his fox fur was gone, singed to tatters. Kotsky. Shoto didn't realize he'd spoken as he lodged himself frantically forward. It was Tomura's head turning to peer at him that alerted Shoto to that. And then Tomura started scratching his neck again and staring at Shoto. No, 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 no. Kotsky plowed into him. I'll fucking kill you. The two of them tumbled away, and Shoto screamed again, Don't let him touch you! But before he could get the last word out, Dobby was in front of him again, just grinning, grinning, grinning. That's a neat trick, he said, thumbing at the frozen shadow creature. Wanna see mine? Shoto threw, his, threw up his hands, let instinct take over, and Dobby sent a plume of flame towards the ice at the shadow thing's feet. The ice evaporated in an instant, leaving behind the scent of mangled magic and soot, and Shoto threw more ice at them both this time, frantically, desperately trying to slow them down and keep away while still keeping himself between them and Kiri. Kotsky was too far away, locked in a back and forth with Tomura, playing a game of keep away with Tomura's hands, and he wouldn't be able to help to be any help to Shoto. Shoto knew that in a brief instant he looked away from Dobby. When he looked back, Dobby said, Hey, do I know you? And without waiting for any kind of response, he threw another wall of flame at Shoto. Shoto blocked it with a wall of ice and displaced the second birth, burst with a well, a well-timed blast of fire of his own. But the shadow thing was getting closer. When Shoto tried to aim for it, Dobby hurled fire at him. When Shoto just aimed for Dobby, the thing got closer closer, closer. Dobby grunted as Kotsky plowed into him like a projectile, and Shoto shifted all his attention back to the shadow creature, 
and not a moment too soon, because it was close enough to reach him now, and if he moved back any further, he'd either trip over Kiri or leave him exposed. And that was simply not an option. He could slow the shadow creature down with ice, but it seemed impervious to fire. It just kept coming at him closer and closer until Shoto actually had to fight it. It was fast, too fast, he couldn't keep up. And no matter how much ice he threw at it, no matter how much useless fire, it got its hands in what was left of Shoto's tattered fur and hurled him away. Shoto heard Kotsky scream. He heard fire flare and wind rush. And then he hit the ground and he heard a series of violent pops followed by a high-pitched ringing when he stopped rolling through the dirt. And for either a very long time or no time at all, Shoto did not get up. He heard Kotsky yelling and he didn't get up. He heard Dobby laughing, and he didn't get up. He felt fire bubbling in the air, and he didn't get up. He couldn't. He couldn't lift his head from the dirt. He'd hit the ground so hard, the whole world had widened out, and Shoto wasn't sure it had come back yet. Shoto! I'm, uh, Kotsky. Get up! Kotsky. Come on, come on, princess, come on! And Shoto managed to hiss again. Kotsky. Except this time, someone was close enough to hear. No, 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 not yet! Tomura spat, hands scraping over his neck, clawing at his own skin. Shoto was on his knees, somehow. The whole world was jelly on toast, but Shoto was on his knees at least. Ice. He could make. Kotsky, Kotsky, Kotsky! Tomura hissed. Kill you now, kill you now, kill you then, kill you now! Tomura screamed when Shoto burned him, and Shoto fell back into the dirt, hand thrown out, and mangled a single delirious smile. Tomura! That was Dobby, desperate. Shoto blinked and saw nothing, blinked again and saw Dobby leaving Kotsky behind, hurling himself at Tomura, who was gasping in fury, staring at the burns on his hands. Kotsky had fallen to one knee and one hand, and from here, from the ground, Shoto could see his chest heaving. Kiri still hadn't moved at all. Shoto's head hurt. There was something wet on his face, on his collar, on his forehead. He burned me! Tomura hissed furiously, and Shoto's blood went cold when he felt Dobby's vibrant, crazed blue eyes land on him. Kotsky was there, though, before he could act, gasping for breath but flying in, fire blazing, keeping them both at bay, though Shoto knew it was only a matter of time before. 
Even Koski couldn't keep this up. Sir, I've retrieved the items, and I suggest we retreat, lest we sustain more serious injury. The third voice that spoke was calm, polished, and when it distracted Tomura and Dobby from the fight, Shoto saw Kotsky's whole body sag, just for a moment, and then he took a single step backward, lined himself up for defense, and waited. Shoto was certain he'd missed something. Where had that man, a dark-skinned, dark-haired man with a pointed chin and posh accent, even come from? <laughs> We're winning. Dobby spat. Let me burn. Lord Shigaraki. The plan. Plan, plan, plan. What good is a plan when you can't improvise? Tomura demanded, eyes on Kotsky. Kotsky hissed out of the corner of his mouth. I need you to get up, princess. Get up now. Get up, get up now. Shoto tried. He did. The world twisted under his feet. Wouldn't sit still, and he could only stagger into some lopsided crouch. His mouth was moving, but he wasn't sure he was saying real words. Too soon, sir, the prim man said curtly. Tomura growled in annoyance. Dobby grinned and glared, and then... Let's go, pet. But we... Shoto lost the strain of the conversation for a moment, but when he found it again, Tomura was moving away from him, moving towards the prim man with Dobby right next to him, and Kotsky wasn't chasing him, which surprised Shoto on its own. He must have been really worried. There was something else they needed to worry about. Something else aside from Shoto not being able to stand up straight. Bye-bye, Tomura said, grinning at Kotsky with those awful fingers as he said, See you soon, your highness. And then they were gone, just, just popped out of existence. If Shoto hadn't watched it happen, he would have thought it was a dream. Maybe it was somehow. None of this seemed right. Kotsky hurled himself away from Shoto with an awful gasp, and Shoto turned his head. His neck hurt. Sweetheart! Kotsky hissed low and terrified and pleading, Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! That wasn't going to work. Kiri. Kiri, fuck. That's... That's what Shoto was trying to. He wasn't moving at all. Not at all. Shoto, get up! Kotsky said loudly. We have to leave. We have to leave now! Kotsky was grabbing Kiri's massive arms, pulling him around him like he might drag him into the woods. Did he get the hands? Kotsky growled furiously and said, Ugh! Come on! Come on! He was... Kiri was so much bigger than him. 
but he was crawling under him, yanking Kiri onto his back, which looked ridiculous since Koski was so much smaller. He did it, though, somehow. And then he looked at Shoto again and said, I can't carry you both, princess. You're gonna have to move. Shoto swallowed around the lump in his throat. He thought they'd been moving this whole time, but apparently he wasn't. Did he get the hands? Koski cursed loudly, and then he adjusted the way he was holding Kiri so he could use his hands to blast himself forward. Fuck! Now, Shoto! Right. Follow him. Shoto needed to follow him. He did, somehow. He managed to stand and stumble and totter after Kiri, who surged through the woods, muttering furiously to himself the whole time. Or maybe to Shoto. Just a little further. It's just through here. Come on. Come on. Hurry, come on. He kept doing that, saying that over and over again until the sound of his voice was the only thing dragging Shoto forward. He forgot, at times, what they were doing, where they had come from, and then what had happened. Kiri's, Kiri was not still moving. Koski's voice, sharp and furious and impatient, pulled him back again. Once, Shoto leaned against a tree, just for a moment, to catch his breath, and he woke up to Koski screaming at him from a few weeks feet away, calling him names, calling him princess, saying, it's you or Kiri and I'm not leaving him. Move your ass, you lazy little shit. And Shoto managed to ignore the pain spiking through his belly and chest and the way his arms and legs took so long to respond to him and he hissed, fuck you, and kept moving. If he moved, he didn't have to think about how much everything hurt. Somewhere along the way, Kotsky started yelling. Wordless shouts and intermingled with, Get over here, you fucking shits! And Shoto had no idea why until they broke through the trees into a single little clearing, and three people were already running towards them from a little ring of stone houses. There was a tall, gaunt man with blonde hair and a dark, sunken eyes, and two young women, one with cheerful, rosy cheeks and the other with long, greenish hair and wide eyes. All three of them said, Kotsky? And then Shoto heard nothing but muttering as they ran forward to help, the man helping swing Kiri off Kotsky's back and all together, they started dragging him forward towards one of the huts. Koski didn't say where he was going. They all seemed to know. Who's that? The woman with the long hair said, pointing at Shoto. Shoto took about three steps forward just as Koski disappeared into the hut with Kiri and then hit his knees. When he blinked, both women were at his side. The first one, brown hair, cheeks pink, and a kind face. She poked at Shoto's head, pushed his hair aside, and said, Hey, can you talk? Uh, who? 
where? I'm Ochako, and this is Sue, she said clearly, brightly. Can you tell me your name? Shoto. Shoto, what happened to you? Did he get the hands? He wanted the hands. He... We can't let him have them. Ochako and Sue exchanged looks, and then Ochako said quietly, We need to get him inside. Sue nodded. Can you stand, Shoto? Shoto pushed himself to his feet, stumbled hard, and realized with a very disconcerting heave that the ground was warm and solid, but still softer than it should have been. Hey, you're okay. I've got you. Someone said quietly, someone with a rich, comforting voice and very large, very strong arms. Shoto blinked and pulled back and found himself half-draped over a... a man. Green eyes and freckles and the most guileless, gentle smile Shoto had ever seen. Kotsky, Kiri. Let's get you inside, the man said quietly. Is all that from his head? He added, turning and a little to look at Ochako. I can't tell, she answered. I think so. It's a nasty gash. Lean on me, okay? The man said to Shoto. He had a sort of calm, quiet voice that made a man want to listen. That made him want to do what he said just to hear the smile in his words. So Shoto did. And then he hit his knees again because when the man tried to slip his arms under Shoto's shoulders, Shoto's whole body seized up and he choked from the pain of it. Whoa! The man hissed. And when he followed Shoto down, Chaco! Ochako was there in a second, carefully pulling up Shoto's shirt, looking at his belly and chest, and then she said, He's bleeding. Get him inside right now. Right now, go! And before Shoto really knew what was happening, he was being scooped up like a child and rushed into one of the huts like it was nothing. And for the first time since all of this began, he didn't have to hold himself up anymore. The green-eyed man supporting him entirely, and the relief of that. Shoto lost the thread of things again, instantly, and when he came to, he was in a pile of furs. Ochako was tearing his woolen tunic open up the center when she said, The green-eyed man hissed. What happened to you, Shoto? He said gently, quietly, when he saw Shoto was awake again. Did you fall? Attacked, Shoto muttered. Gray man. Toya. Don't, Izuku. Ochako hissed. Give me that bottle, she added, pointing. Izuku did as she said. Is Kiri okay? Shoto asked sharply. Now that he had a bed to lie back on, he found his head clearing a little, but it only let him see how badly his belly hurt. We've got our best healer on him, 
Izuku said calmly. Let's worry about you, all right, Shoto? Can you drink this for me? Ochako interrupted, and she pushed a little bowl at Shoto, who thoughtlessly swallowed it down. Something settled in his stomach. Some of the pain went away. Good, Ochako said, staring at Shoto's belly again. When Shoto finally looked down, he saw a horrible purple bruise across his torso and remembered the way Tomura's fist had sunk into his skin. Lay very still, Shoto, Ochako said firmly. Try not to fall asleep again, she added. Shoto did, and he realized Ochako was holding a little wooden staff with a gnarled knot at the end. She closed her eyes and inhaled, and Shoto smelled magic suddenly charge through the little hut. It filled everything up filled him up, and whenever it touched Shoto, felt soothed. It was white and strong and peaceful, and when it was gone, Shoto's head was clear. He had a vicious, throbbing headache, and his bones ached, but he could think for the first time in what felt like days. Shoto? Ochako said gently. Yes? Look at me, Shoto did, and Ochako narrowed her pretty eyes and studied him very carefully. How many fingers? Three, Shoto said. How old are you? Twenty. Is that right? Izuku muttered. Ochako smiled and said through her teeth like Shoto couldn't hear her. I have no idea, but he sounds confident. Where's Kotsky? Shoto demanded, and he started to sit up until they both reached to push him back down. With Kirishima, I'd imagine, Izuku said. You're all safe here. No, Shoto said sharply. They didn't understand. What happened out there? Izuku asked, sitting down on the furs. Now that Shoto's head had stopped spinning, he was able to look at Shoto or at Izuku a bit more closely. He was thickly muscled and gave the impression of being much larger than he actually was. Really, he was maybe as tall as Koski, if that, but he had wide shoulders and arms like Kiri's and a trim waist that made Shoto think maybe he wasn't built this way so much as built himself this way like he worked to look the way he did. Which was, all things considered, a very nice way to look. We were attacked, Shoto said. Uh, his head spun, stomach heaved, necromancer, and... Ochako hissed, Izuku's cheerful face darkened. Are you sure? Yes. Shoto insisted. They wiped out the village. Both of them went white. Which one? Ochako said. Shoto shook his head. I don't... I don't know. We ran here. Fucking shit. Izuku hissed suddenly. The words shocked Shoto a little. Izuku didn't strike him as the type of man to talk like that. You ran here from... 
Ochako looked up at Izuku. That's at least an hour away. Izuku nodded grimly. Oh, poor Kotsky. Poor thing, she breathed. Where is he? Shoto demanded. He needed to know. He needed to see. Time had warped in space since the attack. It could have been days since Tomura had tried to put his fist through Shoto's ribs, or minutes, or... And he realized he had no idea if Kotsky had been hurt, too. He had to have been. But he just hoisted Kiri onto his back and ran. We have a healer, Izuku explained calmly, but Shoto was already pushing himself up from the furs even though everything still hurt and his head more badly than he thought it had ever in his life. No, Izuku said sharply, putting his hand on Shoto's chest. Rest, you're safe. Shoto slapped his hand away. No, we're not. Those monsters nearly killed me, and Kiri and Kotsky could barely keep up. They'll destroy you. We have to. What? We have to what? What in the, on earth could Shoto actually do? He didn't know, but he knew he needed to get back to Kotsky right now. No one is safe. Izuku tried to grab him again, and Shoto flared out, froze the man's feet to the hut floor, and shoved his way back outside. He wasn't sure Izuku really deserved that. They'd helped him, but Kiri. When Shoto got outside, he saw Kotsky emerging from the hut he disappeared into with the tiniest, oldest woman Shoto had thought he had ever seen trailing behind him. Why are you standing, princess? Kotsky spat. Him. He's... He added, pointing to Shoto and looking at the old woman. I took care of the worst of it, Ochako said from behind him. Got all the internal bleeding, at least. But he's still got a cracked skull and some very smashed ribs. I'm fine. Shoto said, waving his hand. Kiri. <sighs> He'll be fine, Kotsky said with a huge sigh that made his whole body sag. Go lay down, Affy. Shoto was about to respond, but the air around him changed suddenly. Kotsky drew up short. The old lady did, too. And all the p- people spilling out of their huts to look got very silent. And then Shoto heard a very soft, earnest voice say, Kachan. Kotsky's face twisted, got black and violent, and he said with absolute venom, Deku! Shoto turned his head and saw Izuku frown. No one was moving. It occurred to Shoto that maybe someone should have bowed to Koski by now, or at least called him king, but no one had. I'd say you look good, Izuku said, and Shoto stepped out of the way and turned enough that he could see Izuku smiling. 
but you look like you just had a very bad fight and then ran through the woods with Kirishima on your back. Then don't say anything, Kotsky replied, voice low and maybe a little goading or petulant somehow. Like I fucking care what you say, shitty Deku. Izuku jerked his chin a little and was silent. Someone else did, though. A middle-aged woman with short, blonde hair started screaming. Don't talk to our chief that way, you ungrateful little shit! Kotsky exploded, whirling on his heel, little sparks shooting out of his hands. I'm a shittin' king, old lady! Fuck you! You're not king here, shithead! I should have smacked the shit out of you when I had the chance. Fuck is wrong with you talking to Izuku like that? You got a shittin' dragon and you can't even visit. I'm doing king shit. I'm building roads, you harpy. Fuck off and die. It started with Izuku first. A smile. And then the gaunt man started to laugh with big, booming goffs, and interrupted the screaming match to say, Welcome home, young Kotsky. Kotsky got swarmed. People were smiling at him, laughing, pointing, hugging him, while he screamed and raged. And Shoto realized the woman he'd been screaming at had looked an awful lot like him. And then Shoto understood. Kotsky grew up here. These people were his family. Kotsky shook them all away the best he could, ranting and raving about it the whole time, and when the crowd had disbanded enough, he pointed at Shoto and screeched, Get him in bed, Ochako, I swear to fuck. I'm fine, Shoto protested. You're covered in blood, you idiot, Kotsky said. Shoto looked down in shock and realized Kotsky was right. It was all dripping from the collar of his shirt, and he realized that his hair was stiff, caked into place with it. Who is this fine young man? The tall man boomed, appearing at Shoto's side and clapping him on the shoulder so hard, Shoto thought he might pass out from the pain that radiated through his midsection. The man looked like a stiff breeze could knock him over, but he was so strong. Also, possibly the tallest person Shoto had ever seen in his life. Someone spoke to Shoto's right in a low, bored voice and said, Ease up, Toshi. You trying to squish the poor kid? The speaker, a tired-looking man with dark, tussled hair, ducked his chin into his fur scarf when Shoto looked over at him. Get off him, Kotsky hissed, stomping over. He's Shoto, he's... Shoto looked at Kotsky. Kotsky looked at Shoto. The Todoroki prince that Flatlander fuck sent us. Royalty, Toshi boomed. Welcome to the Outlands, Prince Todoroki. Shoto looked around a little bemused, and the thought maybe he should lay down struck him after all. Kotsky practically barreled into the hut Shoto had come from, and the little crowd of people started after him, looking as if they might follow, but Izuku said, Let's let him rest. 
very gently, and with a few shrugs, people started milling, talking amongst themselves. It was a very small village, and Shoto had a feeling he was looking at it at most of its occupants right here in front of the hut. He felt Ochako's hands on his back, steering him around, and she said, Let's get you cleaned up. She pushed Shoto back into the hut, and he found Katsuki sitting in a low chair with his head in his hands. Zuku and the tiny woman came into came in after them, and Katsuki just said, Not a fucking word, shitty Deku. I'm, I'm happy to see you, Kachan, Izuku said with obvious exasperation. Although, the circumstances are a bit lacking. What's going on? Kotsky started to tell him, in short, halting, vicious, rude fits and starts. The old woman slipped over to Shoto and said, Let's get you fixed up, dear. I'm fine. Shoto said again, like it was rote this time. She smiled and nodded knowingly and said, Lean down for me, dear. Shoto did, thinking she was having a hard time hearing, but was startled so badly he almost flared magic when she leaned up and kissed the side of his head. And Shoto experienced the strangest wave of fatigue he'd ever felt in his life. For one awful, tingling moment, he could swear he could feel the bones in his abdomen shifting. He could hear something in his head knitting back together, and then all the pain was gone, just gone. And then Shoto was too tired to stand up, and he sagged, so Kotsky had to reach out to steady him. Ochako led him back to the bed again, and he couldn't muster the energy to tell her no this time. He fell against the furs and was just able to hear Kotsky say, I'm okay. It's all fucking superficial. Save your strength. And then Shoto couldn't fight sleep anymore. End of chapter 6